All right, good evening, everybody. Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, and we'll finish this book up next week, obviously, Philippians. Um, excellent, excellent letter. Um, breaking Chains is coming up. Kids Camp's coming up. Um, breaking Chains coming up really quick, so that's the 18th and 19th, so keep your eye out for that. Uh, garage sale, 4000 so that was pretty good. Wrote the check yesterday and got it sent off to the orphans, so that was awesome. Um, and then uh, kids camp, we need to get that, uh, get your registration forms in as, as soon as you can for those things. We're going to actually make the deposit tonight because we've got a piece of gear we want to buy for the camp this year. Um, and it's $1,000, but it's really going to be fun. And then I get to use it when the camp's not around, so it'll be cool. Um, so anyway, we're going to get that money in because so, that's the money we use to actually fund the camp. So if you can get your registrations in as soon as possible, that would help us get things ordered and get everything in on time. So top secret piece of gear. All right. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is writing to the Ephesians. Remember, just a group of people that have never walked with Jesus before. Uh, they've never been with this God before. And so he's got a lot of things for them. Um, they're not necessarily doing things wrong. They're just, um, you know, they're new. And so, he, you know, five and six are very, very practical. Here, here's what it's supposed to look like, because they, they, they don't know what it's supposed to look like. Anybody that's come out of an abusive home or an abusive relationship or, or some kind of strange background, sinful, full of sin, um, there's just a lot of learning, you know. I, I, thought, I thought this was normal, you know. Um, and when you come to Christ and you begin to read his word, you realize how unnormal you are or abnormal. Um, you, you realize, oh my goodness, if this is, uh, that's just, that's choir boy stuff, you know? Uh, this is bizarre to me. Um, it's completely foreign. And, and, and God knows that about you and about us when we get saved, um, that it's abnormal. And he, he knows, he's got to teach you. Um, we're we're kind of, we're adopted. He even tells us that. We're adopted sons and daughters into his family. And he understands that we haven't been raised in his household, but we're going to be. We're going to be from here on out. And so he writes this letter, um, Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, to encourage these folks to walk worthy of being a son or daughter of the Most High God, of, of King, of the universe, of our, of our, of our Father. And so he uses all the different, and last week was marriage. We talked about that, husband and wife. What does that look like to be a Christian couple? What does it look like to be a Christian marriage? Um, how does the, what's the structure like, you know? Um, and he explains that very clearly. First thing he says out of the box is you need to walk in love. If you don't get any of the details in 5 and 6, walk in love, and that'll pretty much cover it. But then he gets into the details of marriage. Now, chapter 6 begins with children. We move on to the kids. So we start off with the, with the parents. Uh, what that looks like, what is a husband needs to love his wife, a wife needs to submit to her husband, a husband leads, he's fully responsible for her. And of course, you had the whole, you know, nowadays argument, oh, I, I don't know if I can submit to my husband as I would submit to Christ, which is what is said. Well, we've got another problem then in chapter 6, because you're going to have to submit to your boss as if you're submitting to Christ too. So everybody's got to submit to somebody, and that's just how God wants it. He wants to show that. And he shows that on purpose because he's the husband and we're the bride. And so the Christian marriage needs to look like the relationship between the church and Jesus Christ. That's what it's supposed to show. Um, and so that's an example. It's, a, it's, one of, it's one of the ways that you get to witness without actually you know, handing out tracts on street corners, which is great, 
But another way we witness is to live out these examples that he calls us. I'm your husband, and, 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 and you're my bride. And now you have this Christian marriage, and it looks just like what the Bible shows the church should look like with Jesus. Okay, And um, it looks like, you know, whether you obey or follow chapter 5 or not of last week, if you don't, then you're going to show what it looks like when a person or is not submitted to Christ. Either way, you're going to be a proverb. You're going to be a lesson. Um, I want to be a good lesson. I want to be the good side of the example. Here's what it looks like when you do it right. I don't want to be the guy that says, you know, and, and, and there's Bob, you know. Sorry if your name's Bob, but, you know, Bob didn't pay attention and, you know, whatever. I don't want to do that. So chapter 6 is very important. Pay attention. These things are so important for us um, to know what it looks like. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord as kids. Um, do what they ask you to do. I, I uh, uh, recently had a conversation with a man. We were doing a business transaction, and um, he said, how many kids do you have? I said, six. And, and I, you, know, what, you know, everybody's eyes, you know, they get big every time you say six, six. Oh, my gosh. Uh, what are the ranges? I said, well, I've got 22 with a grandson, you know, married. And then I'm down to a six-year-old who has superhuman strength. And... Um, um, and, it, and then I go through, the, and, I, and I do all the in-betweens, you know, like, oh, the girls, oh, that, that girl age, oh, they're 13, oh, the teenage years. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have rebellious daughters. I don't have daughters that smart off or mouth off. They've been raised in a home to love Jesus. Um, uh, they've been raised, you know, in that environment of love and understanding and that they're people and that they have ideas and thoughts and we listen to them and, you know, we've been, I don't know what you're talking about, but I didn't say that. He's just saying about his daughter. I'm just, that first of all, I wanted to grab him and say, first of all, you don't talk about your daughter like that in front of anybody. It's private. Keep it private. And that's probably why she doesn't like you, you know. Uh, There's just a whole much there. So um, we're going to get to the parents in a minute, but kids, children, uh, anybody under the authority of their parents at this time, and if you're still living at home at 23, guess what? You're still a kid. Just kidding. Um, uh, you you got to obey your parents. You got to obey your parents. You got to listen to them. Um, as in the Lord, um, it's not right for you to smart off. It's not right for you to be mouthy because you are going against God's authority and the way He 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 calls us His kids. See, just like the husband is the head of the house and the wife comes along to be his helpmeet and to, and to submit um, as Christ in the church, we also have, we're also his adopted kids and he's our father. And so, kids, as you obey your parents, you're showing the world what it looks like for a Christian to be obedient to their father. So you have the example again. And so you're witnessing. Um, you're witnessing either way. You're witnessing what it looks like to not be obedient to your parents or you're witnessing what it looks like to be obedient to your parents. Um, and if you love Jesus and you're a born-again believer, then you're to be obedient to your parents to show that example. If not, it's sin, um, just flat out. Um, and you need to do this. And so you obey your parents in the Lord, for, for this is right. And, and then he quotes the, he, he gives us the commandment, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And here's what the promise is if you obey that commandment, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. It's, for your, it's to your advantage to be obedient to your parents. Um, it helps you. Um, whatever your argument is or whatever your problem is with your parents' authority, and we understand, I think, as parents, as you become adults and you begin to bloom and blossom and get ready to move on, 
there's a separation. There's a distinction. I want to know who I am. I don't want to know who I am. I don't want to be, I don't want to be your daughter and your daughter. I want to know what it means to be me. And as parents, of course, we need to understand that, that they're working these things out um, and to help them um, and to guide them and, and give them any help we can, but that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. There's, there's a lot still to learn. Um, and, of course, a, a 13-year-old or a 14-year-old or 15-year-old or however uh, doesn't understand that there's more to learn a lot of times. They think they've a lot of times have a, a leg up on someone who's... Um, Crusty, maybe <laughs> silver and crusty, um, but but you will not be the same person when you're 18 from when you're 13. You will not be the same person when you're 23 as when you were 18. You'll not be the same person. I'm not the same person I was when I was 30. I'm still doing that. It's, it changes every five years. It seems like I look back and I say, "Who was that guy? Who was that?" You know, I'm a different person because we are constantly growing and changing, and your parents who are older and, and doing the best they can um, with, with faults and, and flaws and sins, of course, and that needs to be owned up to parents so your kids understand that you know that you're a failure at times. They need to see that, um, that you're not always right. But it, seeing them, they, they have lived a lot more years. They have a lot more experience, and they're trying to help you learn things the easier way than they learn things. Um, and so by obeying with them, God's word comes to pass. It will be true. It's a fact. It's a promise you can hold on to. As a Christian kid, you can hold on to this promise. This is directly from your father to you about your parents. You will, it will be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. It's for you. So that's a promise for you. Now, he switches to his parents. Actually, just fathers. Uh, mothers, you get exempt, I guess. I don't know. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so in other words, it is, men, your responsibility. You go, oh, I get to be the head of the house. Yep, you also get to be the Bible teacher of your home. And you must be the Bible teacher of your home. That's a commandment from God. You need to be teaching your kids the Word. It's not your wife's responsibility to teach the kids. They can do that. Of course they can. They're fully capable and do do that. But you need to be the leader of the home spiritually. And so God calls us on that as fathers. Do not provoke your children to wrath. There's lots of ways you can provoke your kids to wrath. You can frustrate them. You can say, you can treat them like a peer. I see that more often than not, parenting by being a peer or a, you got a 50-year-old or I don't know how old they are anymore, 38-year-old talking to their teenager like they're friends and arguing like they're friends. And it's, it's not the way it is. And you frustrate your kids that way because you can frustrate your kids without giving them boundaries. Um, they don't want boundaries, but it's frustrating when they don't know what's going to be okay and what's not going to be okay. And so if you set those boundaries, you let them know this is okay and this isn't okay, and you hold to those boundaries, you don't provoke them to wrath. How come this was okay Saturday, but Tuesday it's not? That's frustrating to them. That provokes them to wrath. And then they yell at you, and you say, you're supposed to, didn't you hear Wednesday's sermon? And the kid will mouth off probably and say, didn't you hear Wednesday's sermon? And, and then you've got, you got a big problem. Don't frustrate your kids. Um, you can frustrate your kids by picking on them. Um, you know, they're little. Uh, Bo has lots of big ideas, and he knows a lot of things about a lot of stuff, and he doesn't know a lot of things about a lot of stuff. But I don't care. 
I'm not here to say, no, 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 that's not right. That's, it, no, don't you understand? That's a two by six, not a two by four. I know what he meant. It's a piece of wood to him. And he wanted to use big words like dad uses big words and says, that's a two by four. Dad, we're going to put that over here and do that. I don't have to say, no, son, it's a two by six. Get your tape measure. Get it right. You frustrate your kids. How about just, hey, good job. Look, good try. I like that. I mean, you don't have to say that out loud at all. You just say, yeah, grab the two by four. And they grab the two by six and they bring it over here. And they can't believe they can carry a two by six to begin with. And it's treated, so it's really heavy. All right, different subject. We can frustrate our kids, guys. Dads, we can frustrate them. We can frustrate them by not being around. We can frustrate them. I thought you were going to I thought you were going to do this with me, dad. Well, I was. I was, but then this came up, so I'm not. Um, we'll have to do this another time. That builds up wrath. That's frustrating to a kid. Um, they would rather hear and, and this is not to get you out of it. I know we're all busy, um, but this raising children is the most important thing you'll ever do with your life. The most besides your marriage. Marriage first. But your kids are the most important thing you will ever do. The greatest accomplishment you will ever accomplish. Your retirement fund makes no difference at all. Um, your, your standing, your power, your, your position makes no difference compared to the raising of your kids and what they turn out like, what they're supposed to look like. That's the most important. And so you can frustrate your kids by not being there for them, dads. You've got to be there. Um, your daughters, dads, need to know and be comfortable with you to share things from their heart. You can't just show up and say, it's Saturday, it's my day off, let's have a heart-to-heart. It takes time to warm up to you, Dad. we got to get past some things. There's just some things that, you know, uh, quality time for sure, quantity time is just as important, okay? Um, and I, don't, I, mean, I didn't mean to turn this into a seminar on parenting, but there's a lot here. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. There's lots of ways we can do that, and allow the Holy Spirit to finish that thought in your own mind as to maybe some ways that you could improve uh, so that you don't frustrate your kids uh, to wrath. Because a lot of times rebellion from our kids comes from a frustration in their heart because we're not doing what God's called us to do as parents. Okay? You can avoid a lot of rebellion in your home um, when you're doing what God's called you to do, when you're showering them with love, not criticism. Um, there's obviously room for critiquing, but shower them with love. They need to grow up in an environment of love. Um, train them in the admonition of the Lord. Bring them up. In training, in the admonition of the Lord, your house should be full of Christ's love, full of grace, so much grace. Grace is absolutely everything in raising kids. Grace, 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 unmerited favor. My love does not depend on whether you are doing the right thing today or not. I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. Um, and yet, there needs to be some correction, okay? So train them, train them. And remember what training is. Training is an indoctrination. Uh, they're, in, they're in Bible school. Aren't they teaching them Jesus back there? I don't mean to throw that accent in there. I don't know why I did that. but Because uh, <laughs> that's how I hear it in my head. Yeah, they are. They are. But that ain't, that ain't training. Oh, ain't. Throw that that, that's not training. Training is... Do- <laughs> I'm from Iowa. Sioux City, <laughs> Iowa. Okay? Nor- Northern Iowa. Sioux City, Iowa. Hey. Don't you have a train to drive or something? <laughs> Why are you here anyway? No, that's teaching. That's getting the word in their head. That's helping them understand that God's word does say something. 
training is not just looking at the sword or the nomenclature of the sword or how sharp the sword is or describing the sword or measuring the sword. That's what we do in class back there. It's using the sword. It's swinging the sword. It's cutting with the sword. Um, that's training. Training your child in the way that they should go. What does it look like to pray? Not you're supposed to pray, but then pray as a family so they can see what praying looks like and that it works. Okay? Training, training, training. Um, so much more than just learning the nomenclature of the Bible. Um, doing it, living it, walking by faith. All right, we're moving on. Bond servants and masters. We don't have bond servants and masters, so employers and employees. That's usually the best way for us to understand this. Employees, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. No, no boss's cut-out face on the dartboard. Got it? it that's a no-no. Um, be obedient. Obey my boss? That's not in my job description. It is. It's in Christ's job description, and he is your ultimate boss. The guy that you're working for, the gal you're working for, is middle management. That's all they are. And when you don't obey your boss, you're not obeying God. It's flat. It's that simple. When you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, when you're not working at your job, you're not obeying God. Okay. So Paul wants to show them that. Hey, look. Hey, guys, bond servants. And it was a bigger deal back then. That was like literally slavish kind of situation here. You lived, you worked. I mean, it's like an in-house person. Um, be obedient to those you're met. With fear and trembling, obey them. It needs to be that serious to you that you're doing what's best um, for, for, for them and, and doing your, you're working your hardest. And here's what he means. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Paul earlier had said, you know, there's no more slave, there's no more free. In other words, be a Christian no matter what you are, slave or free. Just understand this, this is your ministry field. If you're a slave, hopefully you'll get out of it. But if you don't, be a Christian as a slave. Okay, Be the best slave there, is the idea. Um, we don't have that here. We just have employees, employers and employees. And so he tells them, don't do that when the boss is around. Look busy, you know. Here he comes. Whatever it is that you do. I don't know what this is. But you do this. And when he's not around, you're doing this. Or you're doing this. You know, whatever it is. No, do it. Um, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as a bondservant of Christ. In other words, Christ is always with you. He's always watching. He always knows what you're doing. And he knows when you're goofing off. He knows what... <laughs> Went to Chick-fil-A. Poor manager. Didn't see me coming. I didn't say anything to him, but Bo had to go to the bathroom at Chick-fil-A. So we went into the bathroom. Oh, no, we weren't at Chick-fil-A. We were at, Ch we were at uh, Panera. Panera. Um, I don't eat Panera, but my wife and kids, love, or they love Panera. So I was, Bo had to go to the bathroom. So we went in there, and he had to use the stall. I'll leave it at that. And so he pushes on it, and he says, no, nah, Dad, someone's in there. I said, I don't know. I don't hear it. Well, you know, Okay. And I'm listening. There's nothing going on. So, you know, I know you're not supposed to do this, but it's a pretty big crack. So I, I kind of just look to see if I can see shoes or someone in there. And here's the manager leaning against the wall looking on his phone, standing up. He didn't even take the time to sit down and at least pretend. So he's sitting there doing that. And I'm like there. I'm going, How do I, what do I do? I'll tell you what I wanted to do. 
I wanted to stick my head underneath there and say, you about done looking at your phone? But I didn't do that. And he's a rude manager as it is. Oh, anyway. Um, I saw him in there. I'm like, okay. So I waited. And I, that's the idea. See, he, nobody saw him. I'm going to the bathroom. And he sat there, just checked his Facebook, did everything he wanted to do on his phone, just sat there on his phone while everybody's out there working. And he didn't even sit there. He was just taking time in his stall, in his private little office, I guess, or whatever. But God sees that stuff. He knows that. He knows that when you slip the pen in your pocket and don't put it back in your desk, you know. Um, and that's a minor thing. I understand that. I'm, not, I'm just trying to make a point. Boy, you've got to be really careful about the things that we've just gotten accustomed to doing, taking pens home or paper home from work or using the copier for other than business you know, situations. Get permission. Just tell them. Be up front with your boss. Hey, do you care if I copy this? I'll pay for it or whatever. Just tell them. Don't just take advantage of that kind of stuff. Everybody's watching you at work. All the unchristian people are watching you Christians who talk about Jesus and have the plaque on your desk and have fought for your right to wear your cross. Great. Congratulations. But guess what? Now you've got a badge on you that says you better be doing everything right and better be better than anybody else here because that's how they see you. You know, um, and those bumper stickers that say, I, I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm forgiven, you need to scrape those off your car. They don't work. Nobody likes that bumper sticker, especially unbelievers. Okay? You're not witnessing anything by having those. You've got to be the best employee there. And if they see you doing that stuff, oh, you're making copies for your garage sale. I am. Oh. You know. Follow up with, yeah, but I asked whoever, our boss, about that, and he said it's just fine. Um, he, he said I could do that. You know, make sure that you're getting permission and doing those things. Be careful, uh, not as man pleasers, uh, man pleasers, but uh, like your serving guy with goodwill. So not only do you have to be obedient to your boss, whether you like it or not, you've got to do it with a great heart. It doesn't do any good to fake it, to be a pretender, to be a whatever. You have to do it with goodwill, and only God knows whether you're doing it with goodwill or not. And that'll come in later on in chapter or verse 15 tonight. Um, that goodwill will come up again. It's very important. With goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. In other words, you need to have a joyful heart at work. Joyful heart. I'm not saying you have to be happy every time, but you need to have joy um, and, and, and let things go and don't be, don't be the complainer at work. Everybody else can do that, but we don't get to do that. God calls us on that. Um, so, verse 9. And you, masters. So now he gets to the bosses. So some of you guys say, hi, yeah, my, I wish my employees were here at this. Well, listen up. Okay, this is for you. Masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. In other words, you've got a boss. You may work for yourself. You may be your own man, your own woman, whatever. And there's nothing like that. I agree. If you can be an entrepreneur and do your own thing and work for yourself, absolutely. But you aren't. As a Christian, you're working for God. Um, and he's watching how you treat everybody else around you. If you're a bulldozer, he sees that. Um, and you get, you get called on that. God will call you on that. Um, and so he says, don't do that. Do the same thing. That, to give up threatenings. Um, uh, knowing that your own master... It doesn't mean you can't fire people. Don't get me wrong. I can't threaten him, you know, like he's going to lose his job. No, if they're a terrible employee, let him know. You're going to lose your job, but you can do it with joy. You know, you're about to get fired. Um, <laughs> if you don't start straightening it up, 
Jesus says, I can fire you. Anyway, um, also, as it is in heaven, there's no partiality with him. In other words, don't think that... See, they're talking back then with the guys that wear all the robes or the suit and tie guy that says, you know, you need to have respect for me because you're just blue collar and I'm white collar and all that. God says, I don't see it like that. I see everybody working or I see everybody not working. That's how God sees it. And even if you're wearing the white collar, it doesn't mean you don't have to work. It doesn't mean you get to treat everybody else like they're less than you, you know. Um, There needs to be authority, absolutely. Um, You need to have authority over your employees. God's not calling you on that. That's, that's absolute. That's true. Um, you need that. Otherwise, you can't, you can't, run, a, you can't run a business with, with, with 12 different minds. There needs to be one head, and everybody else follows that head, and that's how it works. Okay? And you can have some vice presidents or whatever, but um, you need to have that CEO position. Understand that. But don't consider yourself better than them, a better person. See, they had problems. These folks would come to church and you got your boss there, and you got your employees there, and the employee might be an elder in the church, and the boss is just a deacon there. Roles reverse and switch, and he, they're calling him on that. They're, they're saying, you've got to be careful about this stuff. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come, you're going to get to church, and the elders are going to say, ah, remember, you, you know, you've got to be careful. Uh, equal, equal, equal. Pay attention to that. Um, and so if you're a boss or you have your own business, um, treat your employees um, like you'd want to be treated, first of all, fairly. Um, pay them their wage on time. Don't make them wait for their paycheck. I don't care if you have to go without a paycheck. They get their paycheck. That's absolute. Um, and then you know, if you can't afford them, then you have to let them go. But do that. Don't make them work for free. We've had some interesting things in the news about that. People just, you know, just not getting paid. Um, one country, in fact, hasn't been paying their teachers for over a year. Is it Venezuela, I think? Hasn't been paying their teachers for a year. They just show up and keep teaching, you know. Um, of course, there's a bigger problem there than, than obviously people not being like Christ. It's a anyway. Uh, verse ten. Finally, finally, he says, "My brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." Now he's going to go into this in great detail. This 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 war theme, and um, I know that's. People, I don't know that every Christian understands that we're in a war. Um, a lot of Christians walk as if they're conscientious objectors. You know, I'm just, I, I understand there's a battle, but I just don't want to use my... Um, as he goes through this, understand this is God's, this is, this is God's idea, not man's. Um, he warns us, you need to, as a Christian, put on the whole armor of God. And you don't put on armor unless you're going into a battle. That's why you put on the armor, obviously, right? Um, But we need to think like that. I'm going into warfare. Um, Every cop in Maryville puts on a bulletproof vest. They wear one. It's required equipment for them to wear these things. They're probably not going to get shot that day, but they don't know, and so there's requirements. And they they need to have their pistol on them. They have to have their sidearm. They also have to have other pieces of equipment. It's required. If you're going to do your job, you need to do this because you're not doing anybody any good without this equipment. So Christian, as he tells us this, make sure you have on the whole armor of God, not only for your sake, but for everybody else's sake around you. It's important that you understand you're going to war every morning when you get out of bed. It's going to be a spiritual war. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, and he is wily. We don't know what he's going to do today. Sometimes he lulls us into complacency. 
things have been going great for months. And I'm not one to tell you, now look out for the shoe to drop, you know, oh, you know, fear and trembling and all that stuff. No, walk as long as it's great. But don't become complacent. Uh, put that armor on every single day because I don't know where someone's going to club you on the head. And you need to have that helmet on or you're not going to be prepared for it. And so God tells him, and Paul tells him, you need to have on the full armor of God against the wiles of the devil if you're going to stand. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, we, we just went over that. Um, uh, well, it's, 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 it's uh, not just there, it's in other places. Um, that you've done everything you can to stand. I want you to do everything you can to stand, okay? Um, in other words, I, he, he doesn't expect us to have complete victory all the time, and I want to be careful how I say this. He doesn't give us victory. Um, but sometimes just being, just being able to stand at the end of the day, you haven't been defeated, in other words. Um, you may not have aced it, you know, but you're still standing. And that's why he says this. I want you to put on the full armor of God because when you go into war, we want you to be able to stand. I don't want you to be defeated. A defeated Christian is, is a sad event. Um, and it's, it's very difficult to come out of that for witnessing, for sharing with people. I thought, I thought you were this strong Christian. Yeah, but I didn't have my armor on. He, side blind, he blindsided me and I got defeated today, you know. And I understand that that happens, but he warns us ahead of time, that's going to be coming. Blind sides are coming your way. Make sure you're prepared for it, because you can. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And we'll get into it here in a minute. The, the spiritual war that we're in really helps us with Ephesians 5, and marriage. You aren't fighting your spouse. It's not your husband that's the problem. It's not your wife that's the problem. It's understand that Satan is trying to divide your home. He's trying to divide your family. He's trying to get your husband distracted and going in this direction. He's trying to get uh, the wife distracted in another direction. And believe me, we can all be distracted from what's important in marriage. And we have to be careful about that. Um, and so he warns us that we're not, don't focus on the flesh in front of you, the blood in front of you, the person in front of you. It's against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Kids, your parents are being beat up. Every, who, who are you looking for, Lori? Can I help you find him? That's all right. Okay. There you go. There you go, honey. I'm kind of boring. You would have had more fun back there, but that's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Kids, your parents are getting beat up every day by Satan. And they come home and they may not be right. You may not be the focus of their world at that moment. They may need a lot of prayer from you. Instead of being rebellious against them, pray for your parents. Your parents are trying to... God wants to destroy your parents so that the, Satan can destroy... Or Satan wants to destroy your parents so that he can destroy you next. He's trying to separate you because they are your protector. They are the guardians over you. They're the ones God has provided for you to be safeguarded, to be taught in the ways. If he can get them out of the way, he's got free access to you because you're young and you don't have experience in battle. So pray for your parents, kids. That's one of the best ways you can be obedient to them is to pray for them because they are in a spiritual battle every single day. And then parents, likewise for your kids. Your kids are getting, they're getting 
they're getting hammered. They're getting hammered at school. They're getting hammered from their friends. They're getting hammered from television. They're getting hammered from video games. They're getting hammered in all sorts of different directions. They're getting hammered. Are you praying for your kids? Not just loving them, not expecting them to be obedient to you, but are you praying for them to have victory and have strength and for God's protection and for armor and for all these things? Are you teaching them to put on their armor before they walk out the door? Are we sending them out into war without the proper equipment? You know? I, I, I'm, I'm, I, Jenny and I homeschool. We're not one of those people that says, you've got to homeschool because the world's evil and, and, and terrible. That's fine if you want to send your kids to public school, but and the reason is, a lot of Christians say, because we're, we're, it's a mission field. They're going to be missionaries in their public school. Okay, that's fine. Um, hopefully they're equipped for that mission field. And would you send them to Africa on that same mission trip? Well, no, they're too little for Africa. You know, they couldn't go to Africa by themselves. Okay, if you're going to send them on a missions trip, make sure your kids are prepared for a missions trip, that their love of Jesus is not going to be accepted by their peers and by their teachers a lot of times. Sometimes it is, sometimes not. Are you preparing them for the funny looks? Are you preparing them for that they have a helmet of salvation on when they go out the door? Do they have the, the breastplate of righteousness, which we're about to go through, the belt of truth, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, of peace? Um, do they have the sword of the Spirit? Are they able to understand that they're going into war? Or are we sending them in there as little kids and can't figure out why they're dying there? spiritually dying out there when we haven't given them the equipment to win that warfare, to win that battle. And so he says, not only for us, but for your kids, take up the whole armor of God. They are in a spiritual war that you may be able to withstand in the, in the evil day. It, is an, it was an evil day back then. It's an eviler day now. I know that's not a word, but it's, it's terrible. And having done all to stand, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, that was the verse I was looking for earlier. Have you done all to stand? Stand, therefore. It's coming up over and over again. Stand, stand, stand. Don't get defeated. Don't get knocked off your feet. Stand. Having gird your waist with truth. That's the belt that you're wearing. Have you gird your waist with truth? Truth is everything. So important. Uh, we'll go over these in a minute here. Truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. Truth isn't something that you can get away from. You can't have lies. You have to be walking in truth. The kids have to know that they know the truth. You have to know that what you believe is true. If you don't believe, if you don't know what you believe is true, if you haven't worked out your own salvation, if you don't understand that the scriptures are, are absolutely true, and you come into a conversation with you're not sure it's true, you're not going to win that conversation. You will not win that person to Christ because you don't know. Well, I think it might be true, but I'm not sure if they're not true also. Then nobody wins, okay? You have to know the truth. You have to gird your waist. It has to be the first thing you put on. Put on truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that guards you, that protects you. Your walk with the Lord, your uprightness. Righteousness isn't something that you can... And, and some churches are leaning that way. I, I saw an interesting church model where they're not so interested in the truth, they're not so interested in righteousness, just kind of everybody's just trying to figure things out kind of thing. That is true. We are all trying to figure things out, but we're trying to figure things out so that we can have truth, so that we can have righteousness, so that we're protected. 
God's word says we need truth. God's word says we need righteousness. So we need to walk uprightly. We need to be holy because our God is holy. And in that righteousness, that protects us. It protects us from innuendo. It protects us from accusations, um, or insinuating, I mean, and accusations. Um, It protects us. And it's a breastplate. It's not on our backs. In other words, you face your enemy. And my righteousness is able to, in Christ, my righteousness in Christ, is able to withstand um, these, the, the enemy's attacks. Um, there's nothing better than when someone tries to slander you, saying, oh yeah, you're, just good, you're better than everybody else. No, my, my Savior's better than everybody else. Um, but I do model after my Savior, and I want to be like him. And, and his way is better than sin. Um, and I can show you that. And so righteousness actually is a witnessing tool. It actually shows people, wow, you have such a great life. How come that is? Because I really try to obey God's commandments. I truly like, like to live righteously. Well, yeah, that's for you. But how can I have that great life without living righteously? You can't. And that's, a, that's, a, that's one of the first things we put on, truth and then righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's what goes on your feet in this warfare, in this battle. Truth around your waist, Righteousness is your breastplate, protects your heart. Gospel of peace. Two things about that. Uh, first is Luke chapter 2, verse 14. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Luke 2, 14. Do you understand that we have a gospel of peace? Some people take peace to mean, you know, you know, peace, brother, you and I, just we're just not going to argue. The absence of conflict is what the world thinks peace is, and that's not what God calls it. That's not, the, that's not his de- definition of it. In chapter 2, verse 14, this is what they, uh, this is what they claimed, um, the angels did. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. There's that goodwill again that we talked about earlier. What he's saying is the fact that Jesus Christ, they were proclaiming Christ coming to earth, peace is on earth peace, and goodwill is God's will for you. God's will for you is to have peace with Him. We have peace only when we have peace with Him. We will never have peace without peace with Him. That's where conflict comes from, flesh. Flesh wars against flesh, and that's where you have uh, borders and, and, and arguments and, and, and power struggles and all that. But when you have peace with God and you understand that He's, he's sent his son to die for you on the cross. That's when you have peace horizontally, basically. Um, and goodwill towards men. That's important to know that God's heart for you is to have that same goodwill you're supposed to have when you serve your bosses. He has goodwill towards you. He, his will for you is good. He's for you. He's not against you. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to walk uh, uprightly for your benefit, um, these are his words. And so that's what they proclaimed. They were so excited. The angels came down and said, glory to God in the highest. And his glory is this. And on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. It was amazing to them. They've been watching us fall for years and years and years. And Jesus comes down as God come in the flesh. And they're stunned and amazed. The angels, from their perspective, said, I cannot believe his will for you. It's good. Amazing. And we need to understand that. So we need to have our feet shod with um, this gospel of peace. Now, gospel, let me hit that. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Just the last book we were in.
He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of God to a different gospel. So I don't know what gospel you have, but check it. Is it the gospel of peace? Because if it's not the gospel of peace, then you have the wrong gospel. If you're not telling people the good news, which is what gospel means, that God has made peace with you, that's your mission, that's your gospel, the gospel of peace. If you're giving any other kind of gospel other than that, you have the wrong gospel. In other words, there are many gospels. The only gospel we're supposed to shod our feet with is the gospel of peace. And that peace was explained in Luke chapter 2. God's will towards man is peace. He wants to have peace with us. And so that's our good news for the world. Have your feet shod with that. Be prepared to tell people about that. Sometimes I think people shod their feet with the, with the, with, with the gospel of, of rightness or the gospel of argumentation or the gospel of facts. And that's not the gospel we're supposed to have. You can use those things, but it has to come from God's your, your heart for the person. Um, oh, I can't believe you believe in that, you know, uh, evolution or whatever it is that you love to show people that they're wrong about. Have you won the person with the gospel of peace or have you beaten them with thoughts? It's two different things. Um, people don't come to Christ, not because they believe in evolution or because they are an atheist. People don't come to Christ because they love sin. And we have to understand that. They love their sin. That's why they don't come to Christ. The others are excuses for not coming to Christ. But the reason they don't come to Christ, Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, they don't come to Christ because they love their sin. Okay? That's what we deal with. Okay? So the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's the gospel we have. Above all, So in other words, those first three pale in comparison to this next one. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all fiery darts of the wicked one. A shield is defensive. It doesn't do any good as a Christian if you're dead, if you're beaten, if you're defeated, if you're depressed every day, if you're walking out of there, I don't know about life. You can't witness to anybody that way. Nothing works. And so he wants you to have that shield of faith for you first and foremost. You've got to have that. Because if you can't defend yourself and keep your faith, how are you going to help anybody else? Okay? Um, keep yourself safe. At, you know, in, in, the, in the military, any, any branch, you've got to take care of your feet. You've got to change your socks. We go on 14, 16-mile um, hikes. I call them humps when we went with backpacks and everything. And and uh, you're wearing boots, and you're in your in in, a, in about eight miles in, you you take everything off, you sit on the side of the road, and you change your socks, because they knew if you don't take care of your feet, you're worthless to us. You can't go. You're gonna have well, you might make it, but you'll be worthless in the battle. You know, this is just an example of that. You've got to have your faith. It needs to be solid. And faith is not. It's not just faith. Faith in whom? Okay, faith in Christ. You can't have faith in a chair, faith in tree, faith in faith. I see that a lot, and we've, we've talked about that several times here. Oh, I just, you just need to have more faith. Let's clarify that. Faith in what? I, just, I believe in myself. You're going to fail. You're dead. Oh, I just, need, I just really need to believe. I'm just going to have positive words and confess that I'm going to do well. You're probably not going to do well. No, um, practice. Um, for sure, uh, work at it. But faith in Jesus is what keeps you alive. Faith in Jesus is what helps you survive. 
Um, faith in faith doesn't do any good. There's no such thing as gathering more faith. Faith is used in so many different ways. It's a very simple thing. It's trusting God more, like you trust another person. Uh, we went on our first date. I trust he came on time this time and picked me up. We're going on a second date. I really believe he's going to be there on time because he's shown in the past and he's shown he's going to show up on time. And he opened the door for me last time. He's probably going to open the door for me this time. You begin to trust that person more and more. And, and on and on and on it goes uh, up through, uh, you know, being, you know, I can't think of the word, engagement, uh, to marriage and all that, you begin to trust that person more until pretty soon you almost take them for granted. They're so trustworthy. That's what God wants us to have in him. He's that worthy of our trust. That's what faith is. It's not something I have to develop. I have to really, really have faith in God today. No, it's not, it's not this. It's a, oh, he's never, ever failed me. I mean, everything he's ever told me is true. Everything he's done for me has always been for my best. So this is obviously going to be right along those lines. Even though I don't know the outcome, based on past experience with God, this is going to be perfect. That's the idea. Faith. That's what we increase in faith, trusting God. With which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. In other words, you've got some, you've got rounds downrange. They're coming at you. Um, he's going to throw darts at you. I think the word there is arrows and different kinds of word. Darts makes you think he's doing, you know, we think of darts. Not really. What it, these are fiery, branded arrows coming, flying at you from over the wall. Okay? You need the shield. You know, everybody's seen the movies where they put it up and they hit the thing. You need that shield um, or you're going to get some piercings. Anyway, and take, a, take the helmet of salvation. You've got to have that helmet of salvation. It protects your mind. Do you know that you're saved? Do you absolutely, are you sure that you're saved? Because you're supposed to be. We're supposed to have an assurance of salvation. We're supposed to know that we're saved and believe it and live it, and it needs to be just something in the rearview mirror. I am saved, and now I'm going into battle. I'm saved. You have to have that helmet on. If you're not sure if you're saved or not, it's very difficult to minister. And Satan will whisper in your ear, if you were saved, you wouldn't do this. If you were saved, you wouldn't do that. No. I'm saved because of what Christ did, not because of what I've done. Very important. I'm saved. So you need to have that helmet on or he's going to get into your head and begin to whisper and neutralize you as one of his foes. We want to be an adversary. Okay, We want to do well in this war. Um, but if he can convince you that you're not saved or you can't say those things because you're not obedient like you're supposed to be, um, he's taken your salvation or he's got left your helmet at home, you need to have that helmet. The next thing, um, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's your only offensive weapon. And all this is... all this. That's your only offensive weapon is the sword. Do you know the word? Do you know what it... First of all, yeah, you've got to know the nomenclature. 66 books, 40 different author, authors over thousands of years, but with a common theme. It's absolutely a miracle that we have this book in our hands. Okay, fine. Um, you may even quote all of the books of the Bible. You may be able to rattle them off. Good job. That's great. But have you ever swung it? Have you ever used it? Do you use it on a daily basis, not only in your life, but in other people's lives? Do you help them? Do you give them encouraging words? Um, his words, not yours. Um, we need to have that. And so get used to using your sword. Practice. Tonight I've asked you to turn to two different scriptures in the Bible. Okay? Some did, some didn't. And you don't have to. Um, I encourage you to, to do that. It's sword drills. You know? Um, we used to play a game. We were joking about that before I came up here. Uh, instead of reading off what the Scripture says, we're going to turn in our Bibles and raise your hand when you get there. 
And then the last one there, we're going to make fun of you kind of thing. You know, just, just a little peer pressure or whatever. We won't do that, obviously, but we want you to know where they are. You know, where is Genesis? Start there, Genesis and Revelation. Genesis at the beginning, Revelation. Know where it is so you can find it when you need to, okay? Sword drills. Now, and then learn God's word and learn his heart on the matter, uh, the author's heart. You can have his text, but if you don't have his heart, you won't be able to use his text properly. Um, also praying, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That's a lot of praying. So important to pray. Not, yes, I'll pray for you. You may mean it, um, but if you say it, pray. Really do pray for that person. Um, and don't ask for prayer if you don't really want prayer. Hey, I really need your help on this. Would you pray for me? I'm trying to make a decision. Okay, I'll pray for you, but will you, will you adhere to the answer? A lot of people mean, would you pray that God's will would be my will? <laughs> No, I won't pray that, but I will pray that God tell you what his will is for your life. And when you hear it, I pray that you'll obey it, you know. Um, but pray, honestly pray, and pray with perseverance. In other words, don't stop praying until you hear some answers. It may be no, but pray until you get an answer. And for me, Paul says, when you're praying, that utterance may be given to, uh, to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, uh, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's biggest concern is not getting beat with more rocks or sticks or being drowned out in the sea or shipwrecked. Three different times he got shipwrecked. Who has that kind of luck? Kidding. It was all on purpose. There's no such thing as luck. But he doesn't say that. Help, pray that I don't drown. Pray that I don't get any more broken bones. Or pray that my eyes get better. Pray that I that I wouldn't be afraid to talk about Jesus. Paul, of all people, his prayer request was make sure that you pray that I might be bold. You're the boldest guy I know, man. I'd be terrified to be his errand boy, you know? I'm not sure I could hang with Paul. Pray that I'd be bold. That's what I want, the mysteries of the gospel. Because apparently at times he must not feel like being bold. There must be times in his life he's like, you know what? If I shut up, I won't get hurt. If I shut up, I'm not going to jail. If I shut up, maybe I'll eat tonight. If I shut up, maybe the ship will make it this time. You know? He had those moments, and we all do. And if Paul had them, we do. So his prayer was, or his prayer request was, please, that I may, not that my situation would change. Not that my life would be easier, not that I would have more money, not that my bills would be paid. None of the, his prayer was, I pray, if you pray for me, please pray that I might open my mouth boldly to talk about Jesus. That's awesome. It's convicting, and it's awesome at the exact same time. Psalm chapter 144, or Psalm 144, verse 1. And then we're going to close up here pretty quick. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. It's a very simple verse. Written by David, who was a warrior of warriors, man. He was a seriously serious killer. He really was. 
But he understood, and do you ever wonder why David never had post-traumatic stress disorder? That guy killed more people than anybody I've ever read about, okay? He wanted to get a bride. He came home with what? How many foreskins did he bring off some Philistines? Was it a hundred or something like that? I don't remember the number. He killed more men, but no post-traumatic stress disorder. Do you know why? I think this would help a lot of our guys because he knew what he was fighting for. He knew why he was killing. He knew who he was killing for. He knew who his boss was and what the reasons were behind it. There wasn't any guilt. There wasn't any doubt in his mind why he was doing those things. That's a side note. But David took time to write a song about his God who says, he trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Now he's not talking about physically. He's talking about spiritually here also. Understand that God is trying to train you for war. He's trying to train you for battle. Spiritually speaking, if we don't put on our fatigues, our boots, and get our armor on in this world, who's going to fight? We have to be the fighters. We have to stand up for righteousness. We have to preach the gospel of peace. We have to have the truth and know that we have the truth. We have to have righteousness. We need to be walking with God. We need to have faith. We need to know what we believe and trust God with everything. We need to know that we're saved. We need to know the word of God and use that sword better than anybody else. We want to be the best sword fighters around and be the best prayers because we are in a war and God is training us for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Paul again. Uses the analogy of war. He even says that whoever goes to war at his own expense. Now he's talking about financial situations there, um, about being provided for so they can go to battle. Um, But he says it's a war there. Um, We go to war at God's expense. He sends us to battle. We are are in his army. He tells us to put on, I mean, I don't know how many, Proverbs 20.18, wage war. Uh, Proverbs 24.6, wage war. We need to wage war. In other words, we get to pick the fights sometimes. I don't have to wait for me to be attacked by an atheist. I'm not here to beat up an atheist. I'm here to save an atheist. I'm here to tell them about the love of Jesus, the gospel of peace. I'm here to bring that to them. But I want to bring it. I'm going to bring it. I'm the one poking them in the chest. You know? Not literally, obviously. Hey, you want to talk about God? That's not going to work. I get punched. And it's not physical. It's spiritual. I want to pay attention to the person who's crying at work. I want to wage war there. You understand what I mean by war now? I want to get into the fight because she or he is being defeated somehow or some way, and they've been beaten up, and I'm going to come in, and I'm here, I'm here to protect them. You get the idea? I'm here to come in, and, and Satan is having a free-for-all with them, and I'm here as a war wager to step in there and say, no more, it's going to stop right now. First, we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk about this, and I'm going to show you what God's Word says and how God feels about you, not what anybody, and you wage war. You know, he wants us to do that. We're called to that. And if we don't do it, people just get slaughtered out there. They get slaughtered. All right, we'll close. But that you also may know my affairs, after telling us all about what we need to know to live with God, how I am doing, Tychicus, 
a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. He wants us to have that grace. Paul wanted them to have that grace. He wanted them to know how he was doing. Don't be worried about me. I'm just going to be okay. Um, and so Tychicus is going to tell you all about how I'm doing, but I'm hoping you're okay. You know, I want you to have peace. He's a good shepherd. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the encouragement that you've called us, you've enlisted us, um, and you've prepared us. You're not sending us in, into any kind of conflict that we're not able to stand up in, and you said that repeatedly, but we have some responsibility in this. We know we need to put on that armor of God. We need to be prayer warriors. Um, we need to understand that our battle is not with people. Our battle with is, is spiritual. And so we need to wage war if we're going to win it spiritually. We have to beat these things through prayer, through understanding your word, through compassion, through love, through grace, through mercy. All those things, Lord, that's how we wage war. That's how we win. That's how we protect people. That's how we save people, um, by being that kind of person in their lives. Lord, help us to be those people this week. Lord, we know... We'll get an opportunity this week to actually, uh, this is what training is. We got, we got taught tonight, but now the training takes place this week when we actually see this person that we're supposed to wage war with or for. God, help us to be prepared this week to do that. And I pray that we have great stories next Wednesday to tell about how you used us. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.